One, two, three. Welcome to the Smartest Amazon Seller Podcast. Your host, Scott Needham. It's official. I've been selling on Amazon for 10 years. But guess what? I still feel dumb sometimes as like uh, I get to interview people that have accomplished things that I haven't done. Recently came across a YouTuber, someone that's been uh, actually already exited the business, an Amazon business, and he's done it with some additional challenges. One, he doesn't live in the US and he was selling on Amazon.com. So I think that's pretty interesting and looking forward to uh, talking with Michael Spessian. Hey, Michael, welcome. Hi, I'm happy to be here. All right. So did I, did I get your background right? Yeah, exactly. I'm from the Czech Republic and I started selling on Amazon around six years ago. And at that time in my day job, I was making around $4 per hour. So saving up around $4,000 to launch my Amazon brand took like two years. So I was taking all of my savings to, to launch um, my product. Is that normal in Czech Republic to make $4 an hour? Yeah, at the time I was a student. So I would say that was pretty normal for a student. Yeah. Yeah. You jumped into uh, being your own entrepreneur, but my favorite thing that I've heard from you so far is how you found your co-founder. How'd you find your co-founder and how did that all come out to be? Yeah. So at that time, I didn't really have money to invest into coaching or anything like that. So I was, most of my time I spent on Reddit and forums, basically networking with other sellers. And that's how I met my business partner. So I was posting on Reddit and he was looking for someone that could help him with his business. And I had the time and some experience, but I didn't have the capital. So it was a perfect fit. I, I probably check Reddit. Well, I used to be on it every day, the fulfillment by Amazon Reddit. Maybe <laughs> not quite as often anymore, but oh, I just love where uh, people can align interests and, and do really cool stuff. So I think there already was some traction to this brand, but like you saw a vision of, of growing it. Also, you know, a little bit more capital behind growing it. So tell us about, you know, what happened next. Yeah. So as, since we started working together at the time, the business was doing around high six figures and it took us around four years to get it to eight figures. And basically when I, when we started working together, I learned all of the internal operations, how to run the business. And around the first year of working together, we hit those seven figures and we started thinking about systems and how to build a team because I was working pretty much 40, 50 hours per week. And it was slowly getting <laughs> out of hand for, for a single person. What were you spending most of your time doing? I would say supply, inventory forecasting, and supply. And were you doing this like on spreadsheets or were you like, you know, using some sort of tools? Yeah, we used our own spreadsheets. Yeah. Okay. But eventually you were able to like hand that off. What did your team start to look like? Yeah. So the first hire was a supply manager because as you asked where I spent most of my time, this was extremely important to making the decision because we actually started analyzing our time allocation to see where I was spending most of my time. And as I said, around 40% of that was in supply. So I realized, okay, this is something that is already structured. We already have the routines in place. So it shouldn't be that hard to find someone with some basic experience who could hit the ground running using our systems, using our spreadsheets, so I could get that time back. Well, where did you look to source this person to hire? 
we found this person on, on Upwork, but we basically structured a simple hiring funnel where we tried to get as many candidates in, filter them out with a questionnaire to see their experience. And then we interviewed a few and we found the right one. What country are they from? Just curious. Yeah, she was from the Philippines. And then when we hired our brand manager who was helping us with product development and operations on Amazon, he was from Turkey. I just love the process that you went through. I think my most important hire that I've ever made was on Upwork. I interviewed probably about 12 people from all over the world. I think yeah. I hit India, Africa, Eastern Europe, and Philippines, a few from the US, and really the one from the Philippines. He, he won out, notwithstanding, it was a much more competitive rate. Love it. You say you kind of built out a funnel process to qualify and get the right people. Yeah, exactly. We, we posted the job ad on multiple platforms and we had basically a simple questionnaire asking questions about supply to see and evaluate their experience. So we had like 70 or 80 candidates and obviously we didn't want to do 80 interviews. So we had this questionnaire in place so we could easily filter the candidates based on the questionnaire. And then we scheduled the interviews with the like top 10%. Were there any challenges that you see being like overseas? while launching in the US? Or is it just basically this is an internet business and like you could do internet business anywhere? Yeah, I would say that our approach that this is an internet business and we uh, we spend a lot of time analyzing what the competitors were doing, how they are optimizing their listings and the language they are using. But overall, I would say that the process is was pretty much the same like like any other. So you started uh, when you when you got really involved, you were doing less than a million. What do you think was some of the reasons for growing? What helped growth? More, was it launching new products or was it optimizing existing products? Or is it advertising? Was it updating images? The SEO? Yeah, so at that time, we actually had two brands that were around the same size. And we realized that we should really focus and put all of our efforts into one of these brands where we saw the most potential. And we also, I think that the biggest difference was to really simplify the strategy, simplify the growth plan. I was thinking like that there were so many opportunities what we could do, right? We could drive external traffic, influence marketing and so on. But we realized we could really stick to a very simple strategy uh, following three steps, basically developing new products, expanding to new marketplaces and optimizing our branding, optimizing our listings, right? So we were just playing the Amazon game. And once we realized, okay, this is what we want to do, we were suddenly able to focus all of our efforts into product development. And that's pretty much it. So most people wonder, like, that sounds too simple. And yeah, it, it I, too simple to hard. I actually yeah. think most good businesses, they're simple. They're not easy, but they're simple. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's not easy to do this every single day and just like, you know, grind or be effective at every single part. But like, it is very simple. Like you're yeah. saying, like the traffic is on Amazon. You don't exactly. need external traffic. The traffic is there. Bring the right product. They'll find it. Yes, exactly. I would say that the hardest part was to resist the temptation to do to do anything else. <laughs> like to expand Shopify oh and new brands. <laughs> yeah, no, you're confirming mistakes that I've made. I, I've seen, you know, I've been tempted by influencer marketing. I've been tempted by yep. like by having more products, even if they don't sell very well, I'll just keep them around because it's profitable. But I'm like, no, like, I think doubling <laughs> yeah. down on um, actually you 
gain strengths by limiting the products that you sell. So it's an easier to turn a good product into a great one than it is to, to turn a bad product into a good one. You guys pushed away some temptations and were like, we're just going to do this. Now, you said that you had a unique perspective on, you know, that product development was kind of like our core thing. How, how many products did you end up with? Uh, it was around 40 successful SKUs, but we dropped quite a lot of products because we were launching rapidly. But at the end, okay. it was around 40. Yeah. 40 products. If you got to over eight figures, that's over $200,000 a year per SKU on average. I'm sure some of them are bigger and some of them maybe a little bit lower than that. You know, you, you shelved a few products. Tell me about like your product development. Let's talk about it. Uh, yeah. So, so our approach changed. What category? Uh, in the kitchen category. Yeah. Kitchen. Okay. Yeah. Our product changed as we grew our brand and as we grew our product line, because initially we launched with the regular strategy where we were looking for essentially for keywords, for niches, where there were multiple sellers having success for that keyword. Right. So there wasn't just one taking everything. And then the, 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 the other step was usually to try to find a unique positioning for that particular product so we could stand out. But I like we... which is unique positioning. Yes, I love that perspective. If you see you know, four or five products, what's a unique positioning? Yeah, I would say I, out of the top of my mind, like an example, let's say if you are selling ashtrays, the unique positioning would be, let's say, stainless steel ashtray. And the unique positioning could be selling that ashtray for outdoors, right? It's essentially the same product, but the listing will be different. The selling points will be different, even though the product can be the same, right? So I, I think that, that that's how I see the unique positioning. If no one else is selling an ashtray for outdoors, it can be the same product, but the listing, the position. But, but all the images and the copy, yeah, everything exactly, just says yeah. outdoor ashtray. I've never thought about that. That's actually very simple, but I like that. Yeah, exactly. And and once we once we found a good product, once we got a hit, we started adding, we basically adding new variations, right? Because in our niche, it was possible to add new variations, whether it was color or size, you could add new variations, right? So we wanted to add at least two or three variations to really see what is working and what it, what is not, and just keep the variations that are performing the best. You have this process of like launching new product often. How frequently would you say a new product launch would happen? And would you do anything like, would you do anything new to when, as you, when you launch a product to be like, okay, here's our product launch. We're going to do this, 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 and this. Yeah, so I, I would say that the key for us was to unify our brand. So when we launched a new product, it was obvious that it was from our brand. The structure of the listing, the designs, uh, the packaging, from the main image, it had to be clear that this product is from our brand. Because essentially, our strategy was to dominate all of the keywords in our niche. So we basically created a list of all of the relevant keywords in our niche. And on the other side, we had all of our existing products. And our objective was simple. We wanted to, for every keyword, we wanted to rank three products in the top 10, right? So if you would search for any keyword in our niche, our goal was to have three products, three different products ranked in top 10. Would they be actually different products or they would just be positioned differently and like, you know? Uh, Yes, exactly. Those were usually the different variations. Yeah. yeah. Would you create the variations on the same product page or would you create them on different pages of their own? 
yeah, we had we, we split the pages. We tested this many times that we had variations on in one listing and then we split them and the performance was way better. And as I said, the strategy to unify the brand really helped with when we launched a new product. Because what we did with our existing products, we targeted the product with, with PPC campaigns, with product targeting. So on the new listing, all of our existing bestsellers appeared. And it was basically that way we transferred the social proof of the reviews from the existing products to the new one. Because if they landed on this new listing with zero reviews, they scrolled down and they saw like six different products from the same brand that had like five, 6,000 reviews. So, and that helped. So we were able to launch new products essentially but, wait, wait. without reviews. You think you per it performed better if they were on the same page or a different page? Yeah, we split the listings. So we had the variations on a separate product pages, but then we but used, yeah. But how would they share reviews? No, they were not sharing reviews, but what we did, we targeted the existing products were targeting those new products, right? So if you scroll down, you would see those products ah, appearing in, in the ad. You advertise on your own products? Yes, that, and, the, exactly. and that And that was like actually a brand lift. Yes, exactly. Interesting. Yeah, yeah that's cool. It's a, a creative way to, to show more uh, strength in a brand. But it really did, it does sound like that, you know, you guys were focused on a brand, you know, you've really focused on a, a niche and that like launching new products became more obvious to you as they were so related to what your customers were looking for. Yeah, exactly. And I think that the key here, we it was developing a product development pipeline where we were able to, or our goal was to launch one product every month and then expand to various marketplaces. So it well, allowed us... Um, my private label company, I would say we struggle with like launching multiple products like at a time. We just get too distracted, you know, for whatever reason. Maybe we get too, too distracted maintaining our business, you know. And mm -hmm. how do you keep that pipeline of uh, launching a product every month? Uh, yeah, so we basically structured the pipeline in a way that our brand meant. I, I was coming up with the designs. I was working with the suppliers to really develop the product. And then I essentially handed that over to our brand manager. And he was doing the, the listings, dealing with our photographers to get the photos with graphic designers and everything. And the pipeline basically showed the products for all of the marketplaces we were launching into, right? At one point when we were moving all of our bestsellers into UK and Europe, we had like 30 or 40 product launches in the pipeline at the same time, right? Because I think that the biggest problem with of, of the product development pipeline can be that there will be some bottleneck where everything will get stuck, whether it's the production or whether it's creating the listing, getting the images, right? So my job was to really monitor that everything is moving smoothly. And essentially the objective was that the product is ready, developed around the time that the stock arrives to Amazon. So we can really launch right out of the gate. Interesting. I mean, you've covered a lot of things and some of them are very close to like, you know, like, you know, challenges that I've seen in our business. Actually, on you have a YouTube channel. Did you start this uh, before or after you sold the business? Yeah, after we sold the business. Yeah. You have one video that talks about like, you know, 10 things that you wish you would have known earlier. What were some of those things? Uh, I'm sure it's probably related to what we're talking about. Yeah, I would say that the biggest thing was really thinking about the business as a machine before we got to a place when we had to hire because as i said around the around the time we hit seven figures it was pretty much all me doing all of the work all of the maintaining all of the operations and development 
and we got stuck for a while. And I realized that because we started also tracking our time and analyzing our time allocation. And I realized, okay, I'm spending almost half of my time just doing supply. And supply is not going to grow our business. It's just maintaining the business. So I realized, okay, it's time to, to build a team so I can once again focus on, on product development. So basically, we had to build the processes and then build a team, start hiring. And I really wish we started doing this earlier because at the time, if I was working 40, 50 hours every week, I didn't really have much time to actually develop these processes. And by that, I mean the structure of our task management, the processes, the, the spreadsheets, the routines, and everything. So I really wish we started doing this earlier because it was basically, I would say, even too late at that time. And I really had to work significantly more than I wanted to. So, Do you still see opportunities in the Amazon space? Or, or like, you know, or like the categories that are you and do you think they're too competitive or are you like, no, there's still like a lot of blue ocean. Yeah, I talk to a lot of sellers and there is definitely a lot of opportunity, but the, I would say that the approach for me would be slightly different because I, I think that the most important step here is to really think about the customer and build the brand around the customer, build the product and develop the products that the customer would need. Because once you understand the customer, you can optimize the listings and you can develop products they can actually use and they actually like. So really start with the customer. And usually most people I see when they, why they fail is because they start with the product. They use a tool, they find a niche and they launch a product, but they have no idea who the customer is. So I usually say, do not start an Amazon business, start a brand and use Amazon as a sales channel. What is it? You've said this a few times, like knowing the customer, how does that affect your decisions? And what, how does that affect like, say your, your product? Yeah. So, so basically in our product development pipeline, we used the, the scientific method, which helped us to really get emotionally detached from the products and just look at the raw data. And basically the, the scientific method is fairly simple, right? You have some initial observation when that's your product research, you see the products that are currently selling and you try to figure out why. And then when you try to form your hypothesis, why do you expect that your product will succeed, right? And it can be the positioning, it can be pricing strategy, it can be design, quality or materials, it can be the sizing, the quantity of the product, it can be anything. And that's how we approach this in a very structured way, forming the hypothesis, why do we expect our products to succeed? And for me, understanding the customer is really going through this scientific method multiple times, doing the experiments, gathering the data and looking at the data and then figuring out what works, what doesn't and why. I think that's the most important step because it, it seems that most people, if they launch a product and they fail, they simply move to the next. And if they launch a product and they succeed, they are happy and they don't really do anything about it, right? They're, they're finally something worked, right? But we always look and try to figure out, okay, why does it work? If product was a success and bestseller, the first thing we did, we really tried to analyze, okay, was there something different with the listing, with the materials, with the positioning, with the pricing, and really try to figure out what works. To give you an example, the color variations are a good idea. Okay, we launched a red variation and a blue variation. For some reason, the blue one is doing very well. So next time, let's launch a light blue and a dark blue and see, try to confirm the hypothesis, right? Try to see why do they like this color? And once we know that they like this color, we can adjust all of our listings and all of our upcoming products 
can be basically skewed to that direction that they like blue colors. Well, Michael, what's your uh, next chapter look like? Yeah, so I, as I launched the YouTube channel, I think that there are not that many people talking about basically a systematic approach to business, how to really see the business as a machine. And I personally struggled with this for a long time. It, it took me like over a year to really figure out how to develop the processes, how to build a team. I recently launched a YouTube channel, as you mentioned, and I see that a lot of people can get a lot of value out of this. If there's one of your videos that you've created that like I should watch to like really kind of get a grasp on things, your YouTube channel is called, it's just your name, right? Yes. If there's like one video that like kind of like summarizes or maybe just get to the heart of what you feel like you've learned, which one is it? Yeah, I would say it's, it's the first video where I summarize our systems, our team, and our strategy. So it's like a 30-minute video or so where I go into detail how we structured our team, how we developed our systems, our flowcharts, our task management software, pretty much the whole internal structure of the business. Most people don't really talk about this, but I think it's important, especially once you achieve some level of success. It's not probably relevant to beginners, but once you get to high six figures or so. That's actually, I think, why that people don't talk about it very much is because it's not super related to uh, beginners. These are things that you start to see, you know, after you've been running a business for a while. Yeah, like the problems that, that, that you get. I, as you've been speaking, I've been thinking about our business. I'm like, mm -hmm. why aren't we launching more products? Why aren't we asking ourselves these questions that you're doing? Like looking at our successful products, asking why is this one successful? And how can we, uh, how can we replicate it? What does our uh, audience like about it? I think that probably the thing I really like about this the most is the fact that these frameworks, these how to develop the systems and, and everything is it's pretty evergreen and it applies to pretty much every business. Because now as I start making videos, my flow to create videos is exactly the same as our product development pipeline. But instead of products, I'm creating videos. But otherwise, yeah. it's the same. Awesome. Did you guys use any sort of product management software like Asana or like Monday or is it spreadsheets? Yeah, we used Asana to manage our tasks and we used Miro for flowcharts and organizational charts, accountability. But I, I like Asana because it's fairly simple to use and that's all you need. Our other can overcomplicate it. Yeah, you've said that a few times about like a tendency to overcomplicate. I think if you listen to all of my podcasts, like I've done this like maybe 150 episodes or so. If you listen to all of them, wow, that sounds like a complicated business. But if you read between the lines, it's actually not that complicated. It's very <laughs> yeah. simple. It's like, understand what the customer wants, give it to them, and use small little tactics to help you give it to them. You know, the little PPC things, like all those things help. But yeah. at the end of the day, how to get in your customer's mind and uh, think like they do, or like think like your wife does. You know, someone that like, really consumes that like wants things to solve problems well just do the shortcut help them solve that problem help them feel like my wife will get after me if i buy the cheapest thing she she wants to know that there's quality so yeah. uh you know you do those little small steps that like help them feel like they have a quality product either way okay well michael's great conversation i love talking to people that have that operate at their core uh people that have uh, sold the business Maybe they're not selling a service. Like I have brought on a lot of you know software service, but like maybe they're selling ideas. And that's like the space that you're in right now is uh, helping others learn. 
So uh, if anyone, like, if you guys want to learn more and get into some more processes, I'll, I'll probably will we'll poke around a little bit more in uh, your uh, YouTube channel. I see that you have a few YouTube videos about, your latest is about using AI to write listings. I'm actually building some software around this. So I'm just curious your experience with OpenAI and ChatGPT for creating listings. Yeah, I, I would say that creating listings with ChatGPT is great as a to have some foundation, especially if you have no experience with copywriting to just see what it can do. You can ask it to write the listing or you can input your competitor listings and basically ask the chat GPT to, to recreate it in a, in a different way. I think it's, it's great for, but it should not, at this moment, it's probably not possible to replace like a professional copywriter. But I would say it really depends how you use it because I personally would use it to, let's say, come up with a, marketing taglines it does really well to come up with the taglines and then you you can use the taglines as and selling points to with with your copywriter right to just yeah. see what it can do but i would say that my favorite way to use it is first of all customer service you can easily create a prompt where you ask the ai to come up with a reply to your buyer message or analyze reviews right you can copy and paste reviews there and ask AI to analyze and tell you the top five things people like and dislike. And, and there are really many, many ways people can use this. And we will see, like, it, it will probably only get better and easier to use it. So I'm really excited to see what it can do in the future. All right. Tons of information. We'll wrap up here. Uh, Michael, thank you for jumping on, giving us a chat. Uh, good luck in your next venture. Good luck at your YouTube. You know, your latest videos have been performing even better. Is that the only way for people to, to reach out to you or uh, do you have other? I also have a website where I have a blog. I summarize these these frameworks in a in a blog form and I am fairly active on Twitter as well. Thanks, everyone. Stay tuned to future episodes. We'll keep talking about uh, how to succeed on Amazon. But until then, hopefully your business keeps selling better. One, Thank two, you, everyone. Three.